This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the construction settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host, Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen from Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're glad you could join us today. Well, today we're happy to be here in beautiful, sunny Newport Beach, California, where we're bringing you this show from the Ringler Associates Annual Meeting. And boy, it's a nice respite from this cold New England weather I've been uh, suffering with, guys. And today we're going to talk about a very interesting topic, uh, the workers' compensation uh, area from the defense point of view. And, you know, there have been a lot of important changes in the law, specifically out here affecting workers' comp in California, that we want to delve into uh, a little in a little more detail. Well, before we do that, let me introduce my co-hosts for today uh, from right here in Southern California. Mike Z is a Ringler Associate in Newport Beach office. He's been uh, here for uh, quite a while. He's had more than 20 years' experience in the structured settlement claims and risk management fields, and he has a lot of experience in workers' comp and working with defense attorneys in the settlement of those cases. And uh, Mike, welcome to Ringler Radio. Thanks, Larry. Good morning. I hope you appreciate uh, living out here in Newport Beach. It's pretty nice. I do, but we had some weather this week. We had some rain. Oh, that's a, that's that's hard to take, you know. And also, I'd like to introduce our real special guest for this show, and that's Attorney Nate Halperin, uh, who's with the firm of Tobin Lux since 1995, and he specializes in workers' comp and related litigation. He's a managing partner at the Orange County office of Tobin Lux. And he's a member of the State Bar of California, and he's a certified specialist in workers' comp at the California Bar and a well-known national speaker on the topic, along with many other, uh, you know, issues and notations. Too many to mention here, Nate. You're, uh, you're, you're quite prolific. Uh, you're also a pilot, I understand, which is interesting because a lot of the folks uh, around Ringler Radio seem to like to fly. And... Uh, a skydiver as well, so that's quite a background. A scuba diver, I guess when you fly over water, you don't care at all. You just you can go in, you scuba dive, you do anything you want. Pretty good CV. Uh, I'd like to welcome you here. Uh, thanks for joining us, Nate. Larry, it's a pleasure being with you. Mike, you too. Always good to see you, Nate. That's great. Well, Nate is going to help us uh, with his expertise in our discussions of a very important and you know, sometimes complicated discussion of workers' comp, uh, especially here in California, and that's where we're going to, you know, we're going to be uh, very specifically involved uh, because of Nate's uh, expertise out here and since we're sitting here in California. And I think if we can, uh, with the changes in the law here, we need to really get our hands around what it's all about. You know, many of us, and I, I know I do, I remember the specific debates and the very uh, spirited debates uh, during the gubernatorial contest that Governor Schwarzenegger was involved in where there was a lot of conversation about the state of the workers' compensation uh, uh, arena here in California and, and how it was affecting the economy and employers' ability to really do business here. And uh, I, I would assume that a lot of these changes in, in the California comp law were a product of some of those discussions and debates. And, Nate, why don't you give us a, a, an idea of how the changes were a response to that and, and give us a, a broad overview of what happened. Well, Larry, uh, workers' compensation in the state of California was perceived by injured workers, perceived 
by the employer community and perceived by a lot of attorneys and doctors who worked within the system as a broken system. April 16, 2004, Senate Bill 899 came into effect, and it really was a dramatic and a sweeping change that only could have been brought to the state of California by a brand new and a very popular governor. In passing that legislation, the governor was taking on embedded interests that saw literally billions of dollars coming through his system and had a vested interest in that money. Mm. You, you, you used the word perception, perceived uh, breakdown in the system. Uh, but in reality, I mean, there were more than just perceptions about the system being broken, wasn't it? I mean, there were, there were some real issues and some real uh, things that needed to be dealt with. There were extraordinary uh, abuses that went on in the system. Uh, there were problems with the system that were endemic to it. For example, if you as a medical consumer, somebody who needs to go to a doctor, go to your doctor under your health plan, that doctor has limitations with regard to what they're able to do. There is a rule of reason imposed. In the workers' comp system, under the old rules before SB 899, if you went to a doctor as an injured worker, that doctor was literally king. The doctor could order whatever tests, whatever examinations, whatever physical therapy, not limited to a week or a month, oftentimes not limited to a year, sometimes going on for three, four, and five years, well beyond the rule of reason. SB 899 was brought in to control some of those situations that any reasonable person would consider abusive. So, Nate, do you think that, in large part, California workers' compensation costs were about two and a half times the national average? you think that was some of the impetus for the reform? Well, I, I can tell you from an anecdotal uh, uh, view that uh, every time I went and spoke before the employer communities, virtually everyone in the room had that look on their face like, we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. They saw the bottom line premiums literally going through the roof, and it was painful. I've had employers actually state in hearings, uh, you know, they subscribe to the ABC rule of business. And I, at first, well, what's that? More than once, I'll do business anywhere but California. It got <laughs> to that point. Uh, that, that's what we kept hearing uh, in the you know, through the media around the country. You know, there are a lot of provisions in the new law, uh, Nate, and uh, you know, I, I want you to go through some of them and, and kind of highlight what you think are, is maybe the more, more important change, uh, or what, what one of the most important changes is. And what I keep hearing is, uh, you know, giving the employers uh, a little more of the, the decision-making and the power in this, in this new law in, in terms of being able to create a network of physicians, for example, and choosing doctors and things like that that maybe take the power away from some of the doctors you mentioned who are, who are kind of controlling things. T tell us about the provisions of the law and, and what you consider to be the highlights of it. Well, clearly one of the major highlights uh, of SB 899, the new law that was passed uh, back in mid-2004, one of the highlights of that law was the medical provider network. There was kind of a, a wrestling match that would go on before SB 899. 
where the employer had medical control for the first 30 days, and then after that 30 days was up, there was this huge wrestling match that went on with regard to who was going to overtake medical control. And the reason was, in the 90s and 2000s before SB 899, the primary treating physician opinion was king. If that doctor wanted to order any test, it was presumptively doable because that doctor said that's what's supposed to be done. Under the new law, medical treatment to cure or relieve from the effects of an industrial injury must be provided through an employer's medical provider network, MPN, if that employer is a member of an MPN approved by the administrative director. What SB 899 gave was an extraordinary opportunity. That opportunity was for the employer community to develop networks, medical provider networks, and they were given a free hand to put any doctor or doctors in that network that they deemed appropriate, they meaning the employers and carriers, and the administrative director by statute could not reject the MPN because of who was on it. Now, the applicant attorney community, when they saw the MPNs and those statutes, wore sackcloth and ashes. What they didn't realize, and of course now we have 2020 hindsight, what they didn't realize was the medical provider networks that we saw springing up were largely the networks of medical providers that already existed before. So we grafted medical networks on to workers' comp, and all of the usual accepted citizens of the workers' comp community, did I do that politically That's correctly? That's very politically correct, yes. All the usual citizens of the workers' comp community seem to have found themselves now into the medical provider networks. So the key to the retirement plan is for the injured worker to find an attorney who lets their fingers walk through those MPNs to determine who the most appropriate doctor might be. It's like shopping for a judge in a, in a, in a certain forum to get a little bit of a better deal. Well, I, I, I know that's one of those topics, like how do I look in this dress to stay out of? Well, you know, you know you've, you've mentioned, it's interesting to hear this, in the past, you're saying the power was in the treating physician, and that power was, you know, let's say, abused. Now you have these networks, which ostensibly are more employer-driven, but can't the power somehow get a little bit abused on that side, too? What are the safeguards being put into place to make sure that, you know, that the doctors are, are giving the right, you know, treatment and the right, the right uh, diagnoses and, and for, for, these, for these injured workers so that it doesn't get abused on the other side. Well, the simple argument, Nate, that I see sometimes or hear sometimes is that 
um, these physicians want to stay within the MPN. And so there's the bias, perhaps, that they're going a little bit toward the defense side. You see that happening? You know, I don't. Uh, I don't. There is always the marketplace at work. And by that, I mean physicians are there, I believe, for the most part, uh, in good faith to exercise their oath and to cure and relieve from the effects of injury and illness. And I believe doctors take that seriously. But balancing that is the economics of practicing medicine, which means if you can diagnose a malady or if you have a feeling about what that malady is, but you can run a test, why not run the test if it does not economically hurt the injured worker. What that boils down to is we see a lot of tests being run over and over and over again. We see a lot of medical care in the workers' comp community being given that you do not see anywhere in any other area of medicine. Well, you know, it's interesting, though. Just, just to fo- follow up and finish this point, is there some kind of a, an over, overlord watchdog organization that's looking at these doctors within the group that says if a doctor is over-treating or perhaps even under-treating based on economics, that, that somehow those doctors are going to be weaned from the, from the group or, or these, these groups are going to be monitored in a way? Larry, you've immediately pierced one of the beauties at the heart of SB 899. In addition to the medical provider network, in SB 899, they have grafted on a system of what they call utilization review, so that if a medical provider within that network wants a test or some kind of treatment provided, that request is subject to utilization review. Now, if a carrier or an employer is concerned about what that doctor is recommending, within strict guidelines, I underscore strict guidelines and timelines, that request for medical care can be submitted to a utilization review process. And within that process, based on nationally recognized evidence-based guidelines, there is a determination made as to whether or not that procedure is appropriate. As of today, the nationally recognized, presumptively correct guideline is ACOM. What about uh, another controversial area, this whole area of vocational rehabilitation? Uh, This was, uh, I'm I'm certain, another area of abuse. What's been done within within the new uh, law in terms of uh, that area? Well, let me start, Larry, by saying that uh, uh, no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, Vocational rehabilitation was a great idea. The idea, the theory was you take an injured worker and you provide them with the tools necessary to rehabilitate themselves to go into different profession. Under Labor Code Section 139.5, before SB 899 came into effect, there was $16,000 available 
4,500 of it would go to vendors to retrain this injured worker into productivity in a modified or alternative position. Oftentimes, the rest, with the exception of 15% attorney fee for the applicant attorney on that 16000 would go on a weekly benefit to that injured worker. But the problem was in case after case after case after case, we saw the injured worker going through this process, coming out the other side, settling their case, and going right back to swinging a hammer in the construction trade. It was not working. Or simply being, uh, they'd be retrained into something not feasible to go back to work if they can't find a job. Uh, They'd be retrained again. I'd seen that before the changes in the law that had occurred. Let me ask you, the the new limits on penalties for employers who violate workers' compensation rules, what are they? Well, it... uh, It makes for some interesting reading. Uh, Under SB 899, Labor Code uh, and Insurance Code uh, came one to the other. And uh, under Labor Code Section 5814, any unreasonable delay of benefits, if it is caused by the carrier or the employer, subjects the employer and carrier to a penalty. Under SB 899, that penalty is 5814 and a maximum of 25% to a cap of $10,000. The granddaddy penalty is if there can be shown a pattern in practice of delaying or denying workers' compensation benefits, then the employer is not only eligible for a $400,000 fine, but also conceivably could be in violation of Insurance Code Section 1871.4, calling for criminal sanctions. Is that fine something that would be paid to the state? Is it something to the applicant? How How do they manage that? The $400,000 is paid to the state, and it goes into a fund that uh, provides for a number of things, including but not limited to benefits for an injured worker in the event the employer is uninsured. Okay. Well, I'm sure it's difficult to measure any kind of cost savings or insurance rate reductions at this point. Um, you think we'll see any in this state? Well, I'm confident that we not only will but have. Uh, There have been significant uh, differences at the bottom line, uh, which are reflected uh, in last year and we anticipate this year. So there is definitely a reflection of the benefits that are in SB 899 as they translate into premium reductions. The concern, though, is when SB 899 first came into effect, it had a massive disorienting effect on applicant attorneys. I know a lot of them weren't happy with the changes, for sure. 
Um, let's talk about that in just yeah. a moment. If you I think we will, and we're going to come back uh, in, a, in a, just a minute or so after a break and talk about how the applicant attorneys are really dealing with this new law. And, uh, you know, and also one other issue is, is, as Mike was talking about, the estimate of savings and how this is going to work. I've, I've heard billions of dollars are supposed to be saved, and oftentimes, as we know, some of those numbers don't come, come to fruition. So let's take a break. We'll be back in a minute with more with Attorney Nate Halpern. This is Ringler Radio, Internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE, including Ringler Radio? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. We're here talking about workers' compensation and the new changes in the law in California. Uh, Attorney Nate Halpern is our special guest on the show. He's an expert, of course, in this field of law. And, of course, Mike Z is my co-host. He's our Ringler associate here in Southern California. Uh, Nate, you defend a lot of employers in these workers, or workers' comp cases, and uh, sometimes, as you know, uh, the company gets caught off guard, even though maybe they shouldn't be, although I've been told that uh, when you're involved, nobody gets caught off guard. So that's Yeah, kind of- <laughs> none of our employers are ever caught off guard. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. But, you know, g- give us a couple of examples, if you could, about, uh, you know, some of the cases you've been involved in and, and, and how it's all worked out, especially under this new law. Larry, I'll tell you, a particularly frustrating aspect of any condition is when you see a wonderful benefit that comes down the road and due to the law of unintended consequences, something turns bad. And we spoke earlier about vocational rehabilitation. We were uh, recently uh, consulted by an employer uh, really concerned after having been served with a summons and complaint, it really unraveled from a workers' comp claim and grew into a civil claim. It was a situation where the employer community as a whole heralded with SB 899 the end of vocational rehabilitation and the beginning of a different system of vouchers. Now, it's important to understand that under vocational rehabilitation, A vendor, an expert, used to go out to the employer and the injured worker 
say, what can you do? What can't you do? What do you have by way of modified or alternative work? When vocational rehabilitation was no more, the vendor was no more. Now, that was heralded by the employer community as wonderful, but... Yeah, there's another side to that, I'm sure. There is a flip side, and the flip side is, under the Fair Employment and Housing Act, an employer, when faced with an employee who has a disability or a record of a disability, for example, an injured worker, has an obligation to meet with that injured worker and conduct an interactive process, and a failure to do that is a violation of that civil act. So here you had a situation where an employer and their carrier had gone through the workers' comp process with an injured worker, had not had to provide vocational rehabilitation, settled the case for a significant amount of money, and it turned into a war chest for a later civil action. Barry, you talk about unintended consequences. There you go. Um, Nate, what are some of the other... I mean, I know this is a limited radio time talk show, but what are some of the other overriding issues in workers' comp? Well, <clears throat> we're dealing in workers' comp under SB 899 with... Uh, a new set of guidelines. In a sense, there is a new sheriff in town. Uh, one of the massive changes that came into effect under SB 899 was a change, a dramatic change, an astonishing change, if you will, in the method of assessing disability or impairment. That sweeping change really brought California into accord with most other states. Under SB 899, for the first time, we adopted a nationally recognized evidence-based set of guidelines called the AMA, the American Medical Association Guidelines. By the terms of those guidelines, some of the substantial, some of the, some would argue, excessive Disability findings under the old act were brought into conformity with the rest of the nation. But let me explain to you what that means. For example, an injured worker with a bad disc in their back, with radiating pain down the right leg for four months, the radiating pain goes away. That worker under pre-SB 899 who might be able to work in a sitting or a standing position would probably rate a 50% permanent disability equivalent in our system to $65,780 if it were a 2006 injury. The attorney fee on that would most likely be, for the applicant attorney, $9,867. Under the AMA guides adopted by many other states across the nation, 
that same impairment would be 8%, equivalent to $7,360 with an $1,104 attorney fee. In other words... Tremendous reduction in the fee, for sure. Under SB 899, the new legislation took $8,700 out of an attorney's pocket. Boy, if you don't think that made... A splash. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, before we uh, before we end our our show today, I, I certainly don't want to do without talking about structured settlements and how they affect and, and impact workers' comp here in in, in California, especially. Uh, you know, we often see when cases when workers' comp cases are settled and, and lump sum cash amounts are are, are given out to the plaintiffs. Uh, there's a lot of hardship. Dissipation takes place. These folks are are in, in a worse position almost than they were before. What have you seen about structured settlements and how it impacts how a workers' compensation case can get settled in California and be helpful to the plan? I, I, I am always happy when I see Ringler walking through the door. I, I'm particularly happy when I see Mike. But <laughs> I will tell you this. Uh, structured settlement is a boon and in many cases an absolute necessity. The reason for that is uh, given a significant or serious injury with hundreds of thousands of dollars and sometimes millions as the resulting settlement, it is a disaster oftentimes to provide that money in a lump sum because five years down the road when that money is gone and the injured worker has a life expectancy of another 30 years thereafter with no money and no help, the structured settlement is what keeps that injured worker safe, secure, and with medical care. And it allows well-intended lawyers, and the vast majority of the lawyers in our system are well-intended, to do what the system was intended to do, which is protect the injured worker. Well, that's extremely well stated, Nate, and uh, I can't tell you that how, how many times uh, we see this. For, uh, Mike and I know we, we do this all the time, and lawyers always get, as they say, Christmas cards from clients who they've done structures for when the, when the money's flowing. But, uh, you know, when that, when that money leaves, uh, you know, those claimants think that the lawyer didn't do much for them, and it's, it's a really a shame. But I'm glad you feel the way you do, Nate. Well, we're out of time here today, and uh, this has been a, a tremendous show, especially for any of you that are listening that are involved with workers' compensation in California with these new new rules. Uh, I'm sure this will be instructive to you. So, Nate, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Well, the best way uh, to learn a little bit of our law firm uh, is on the web. Our website is www.tobinlux, that's T-O-B-I-N-L-U-C-K-S, dot com mm-hmm. and uh, our telephone number is 949-476-9222 and mike how does somebody get in touch with you out in this neck of the woods well our website is ringlerassociates.com i'm in the newport beach office and our office telephone number is 800-734-3910 and if any of you want to reach me i'm of course on the ringler website as well ringlerassociates.com sitting up there in cold New England, and uh, welcome your call. And if you do, of course, I'll get you to whoever it is out there that can best serve your needs. So I'd love uh, for all of you to get in touch with our guest here and, and learn more about Workers' Comp here in California. Hope it's been an instructive show for you. Thanks for listening. Now go out and make a great day. 
Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. 